Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Learning Out Loud. Today, we're joined by Jordan Durst, a 2015 UVA McIntyre School of Commerce graduate. Marley and I met Jordan at a UVA entrepreneurship event this spring, where we were really impressed by his presentation on his startup, Ask Alex. Ask Alex is an AI-powered data and marketing software for brick-and-mortar businesses, such as restaurants, retail, and physical experiences. We would definitely recommend you to check them out. We spoke to Jordan about his time at Goldman Sachs out of UVA, his decision to leave the investment banking world and start Ask Alex, and the lessons he's learned in that endeavor so far. We really enjoyed this episode and hope you do too. Enjoy. I want to hear how you guys got started. Um, what's the goal? Yeah, just tell me about you guys. Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, so basically, so the three of us, we all go to UVA and we're all from the same town, uh, you know, back in New York. So um, so basically the idea was we were, we were trying to think of different business ideas that the three of us could go into since like probably like January, December, something like that. Um, and so what we settled on initially is we're, you know, doing this podcast to try and talk to different entrepreneurs, learn from, you know, their successes and failures and understand kind of how they approach their business. And, um, we're hopefully going to parlay this or something similar into a business. And we have a couple of different ideas that if you have some time at the end, um, we can hang back and talk about just the last, you know, five, 10 minutes. Um, but that's, yeah, that's basically, uh what we've done, what we're, we're trying to do. Is there anything? Um, anything? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess we could explain like a little bit of the actual podcast. Yeah. It's called learning out. Yeah. Loud. Uh, yeah. We're just interviewing. It's mostly been entrepreneurs so far, but um, mostly entrepreneurs, different people in different industries, trying to the three of us, we want to learn from different people from their successes, their mistakes, and kind of publicize that learning experience to our audience. We think that there's a lot that we don't really necessarily learn in a classroom setting that it would be more beneficial to learn from people who have actually been through life and been through what we're trying to go through. So that's awesome. I, I commend you guys for doing that. I think that's incredible. It's far cooler than anything I was doing when I was at comp school or UVA in general. Um, what do you guys, uh, what, what year are you in? Are you guys all third, fourth? So we are rising third years. Justin's a rising fourth year. Awesome. And you have an idea of what you want to do? And you're all in comp. You're no, all so I'm the only one in comp. Okay. Yeah, I'm doing more like bio and stats stuff and I'm doing the entrepreneurship minor. Yeah, I'm going to stats major. Got it. Got it. What do you guys want to do? You want to do New York finance stuff, consulting? No, I mean, Justin and I are- I love that you said no, because when I was there, you had two options. You could work yeah. at Goldman or JP or McKinsey. It's, yeah, Michigan. it's still that. <laughs> yep. And that's kind of almost what we're trying to highlight with this podcast in a way, like showing people that it's not just that, because I don't know, I could speak for myself, like I- don't want that at all um and trying to show people that you do not only need to do those two options so holy smokes it i'm so glad you said that because it's hard when you're in, and we can jump into the questions in a sec i just yeah. like talk combo combo with it is this, yeah this yeah. is perfect but like the the there's this but there's this uh in the microcosm that is charlottesville you're like you've got these options top students get into comm school non-top if you're not a top you don't get in and then your career is toast. And it's just so, at least that's how I felt, you know, when I was there. And it's so, 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 so not true. Like you truly make this up. It doesn't have to be Goldman, Barclays, JPM, 
Morgan Stanley. It doesn't have to be Bain BCG McKenzie. It doesn't have to be Deloitte EY and PwC. Like you truly make this up. And I think, I don't think I realized that until I came to uh, um, LA, right? So I was in New York doing the finance thing. And, and I will say this, like, and I mean, I worked at Goldman, like it is, it's an incredible foundation and I'm very thankful for it. And for some people it's perfect. Uh, and for me, it was, it really, really was. And I'm so thankful for the experience. But I would see a lot of friends who weren't doing the comp school finance thing get down. And uh, there's no like there's no need for that. Like people in L.A. are making it up. You've got actors, singers, models. I've seen people get, you know, their music blow up overnight. And like I've seen comedians make more money than my friends at their hedge funds in Hampton. Like you really make this up. So like you can't get down that vortex of like if I'm not doing this, I'm a failure um, at the same time. If working in PE or hedge fund forever is for you, that's fantastic, and you should do it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, that's my rant. That's my rant. Perfectly said. Yeah, I mean, the, the other thing that we also want to highlight is not just at UVA, but at a lot of places. But we saw at UVA like the amount of uh, relationships and the resources that you have. Like we saw the Galant Challenge. Like there's a lot of money, there's a lot of connections, there's a lot of people who want to see you succeed as well. And so that's kind of what we wanted to. So as you can, you know, you can do your own thing, like you're saying, kind of make it up as you go for your own startup, your own interests, whatever else. And then, you know, kind of be your own boss and do what you want to do from there. So you, you can. And I think the resources available to entrepreneurs are never been more. Uh, there's never been more of them like you can you can do a lot. I have a friend who started an e-com business um, that's doing like four million in rev in like 12 months, like, um, you know, and it's not. You know, and there's so many different things you could do, you know, and and UVA has such a great support system of people who are there for you, like Mark was for us with the Glant Challenge. And um, I mean, I was I was there all week talking to professors. Uh, I saw Professor David Smith in L.A. last week here in Century City, uh, Professor Roberts. I mean, Allison Tooley's like there's so many people there who have been so helpful to me um, as I went and figured out what I was doing, because I was in that. I was like, I have to do finance. And like, I did it and it was great. And then I didn't intern my third year summer, thought I was a failure because I went to go study abroad. But looking back, it was the best decision I had ever made. But everyone else had you know, return offers from the big banks. And uh, anyway, it's uh, you make it up. So that's yeah. that's my uh, that's my rant to start. Yeah, you know, honestly, it's probably a lot of the other things that we're going to be talking about. Maybe you could start off uh explaining the experience at Goldman and then why you decided to leave and start your own thing yeah um so I'll give you my background so I'm from Northern Virginia UVA 2015 I interned at Goldman when I was 18 it was it was a uh, it was my first job I'd ever outside of like working at my church um I was a soft it was my sophomore summer so I'm working in the DC office and I was sitting there his first job and I was like, wow, this is kind of a lot. Um, and so I, uh, I, they said, you want to come back next summer? And I said, no. And I went to go to the London school of economics. I went to live in Spain with the host family. I was minoring in Spanish. It was incredible. My Spanish was so good. LSE, I met people from all over the world, but third year summer, everyone's interning, doing the whole thing in New York. So I come back and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go walk right back into Goldman. This is easy, like whatever. Then I went to Goldman and I was like, all right, I'll come work for you full-time now. I just did my summer in Europe. And they're like, oh, we're staffed. I was like, what are you talking about? And they were like, yeah, like we had all the summers from third year. And I was like, uh-oh. So I, I was like, okay, I got to go find something to do. Um, and 
And that's when I personally, you know, started feeling like, dang, am I fit? Like everyone's got their jobs now. I entered at Goldman as a sophomore and they, I have good reviews. They wanted me back, but I took it for granted. Yada, yada. I worked for GE Capital in New York, uh, back and forth between Connecticut and New York for two years. Um, and then I came, then GE Capital was like imploding. And then I hit Goldman up again. They said, great, we have headcount for you, but it's only in LA. And I wanted to die in New York. I love New York so much. Um, and then I was like, all right, I'll do it. Went to LA, didn't like LA for 12 months, loved LA after that. It's fantastic. Um, been here for six years and then started a company in January of last year. Awesome. Yeah, that's a great uh, a great overview. So yeah, so what what was it about Goldman that you liked that, and what was it about that you kind of wanted to go off and do your own thing like we were talking about before? Yeah, I was talking about me being non-traditional, but for me, Goldman was fantastic. It was the first job I'd ever had when I was 18. And it was where I spent the last five years of my career before starting Ask Alex. Um, it's just the bar, the people you're around. I can't really, you can't really replicate that. These are some of the smartest people I've been around, the most quant, like hardworking. Um, it's just the environment. You're shaped by your environment, right? Just like I was talking about, you're shaped by that comm school microcosm. In Charlottesville, I was shaped by that Goldman office here in LA where everyone, you know, is just working really hard and like very smart people. And I was never the smartest guy in the room, which felt like this is a good room for me to be in. I also felt like that at UVA. I was never the smartest guy there. I was like, well, this is probably good. And I think that when you're being pushed and you're uncomfortable, that's when you're going to grow the most. And I was uncomfortable at Goldman. I was pushed. I was getting smoked, smoked. Um, But like, it was good, you know, in retrospect. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you want to talk a little bit about um Ask Alex, we saw your your pitch at the Galant Challenge and we thought it was a really cool idea and really, you know, well said and well explained. So if you want to um talk a little bit about that, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, so we started a I'll tell you the Genesis story. We got access to GPT three. I'm sure you guys have been messing around mm -hmm. with it, uh, in May of 2020. Uh, myself and Brian, who was through this wall, he is uh, my roommate now. He's my roommate from UVA. So we were on, uh, oh God, what is it? Wortland, you know the S-curve? Is that still there? Yeah. Yeah. We lived in the Fred. Great time. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, we were roommates there. And uh, man, it's crazy. We've had infinite ideas. But he's my co-founder now uh, for Alex. So Genesis story, May 2020, we get access to GPT-3 from OpenAI. We start making chatbots for fun. It was just funny. It was cool. We were like chatting with this bot, you know, it was giving food recommendations. It was just fun. And, you know, it was COVID. So at the same time, you know, Brian was running a customer engagement agency. What does customer engagement mean? In-app push notifications, email and text to increase repeat purchases uh, for different businesses, right? Working with Bird, GoodRx, Lyft, get people to ride more rides get people to ride more scooters for Bird, redeem more coupon codes for uh, GoodRx, whatever the business is. The more you engage with your customer, the more revenue you can drive. So then we're sitting there, we said, oh, what if we combine the AI with the customer engagement piece? Uh, so we jumped in, we raised money from Village Global, Pareto, uh, Goodwater Capital. Um, you ever had uh, RX bars, those protein bars? Yeah. Peter Rahal, the founder, uh, he put a check. He's an incredible entrepreneur on He's unbelievable. He bootstrapped his company to 600 and sold it to Kellogg. Um, uh, he's on a cap table. We, we have great, great investors. Um, and we, we started out with this consumer approach of like a better Yelp and a better open table. Like, but it's just a phone number. 
mm-hmm. you could text it for recommendations. Uh, hey, you've been to Lartusi in West Village. You might also like uh, Ruby's and Soho or, um, you know, just send you to different places. And then we took that to restaurants and they were like, you're sending my customer to like different places. Like this isn't great for me, but it's a great, you know, consumer experience. And then they said, can you just help us better engage with our customers? Like I already have people just get them back in my door again. So that's how we do it. Um, again, repeat purchases for restaurants, really all brick and mortar is the goal, uh, starting with restaurants and moving more broadly to retail. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. That was an awesome overview again. Um, so how did you get access to, to GPT-3 so early on in, in 2020? Um, man, uh, just from Brian was working at a venture studio and I had a friend who was just an engineer who got, you're just in the ecosystem. Then people have, people have these things. Yeah. Uh, wasn't fully trained. It was saying crazy. It wasn't like chat right now. It was saying crazy things, things that are not okay, but it was like, it was early. That's how we knew we were early. Yeah. Uh, but it was, uh, just re- via the network, which speaks to the whole UVA. Right. Like it was an engineer from UVA who I connected with. Right. How has it been starting something with a friend that you've known for so long? Because I think that we've definitely heard some contrasting views on starting something with friends versus starting something with not your friends. Yeah. um, I think we have a unique, we just have a lot of history. Like we we were college roommates, like our families know each other. And like, you know, Brian has the technical, uh, he has the tech background, right? He's a product manager. He worked at Route. He, um, you know, he did consulting with the customer engagement agency. Uh, he worked at Bird. He was really early at Bird. And I come from Goldman and GE Capital. So it's like these two different worlds of like structure, take order from the MD or the partner, shut up, don't say a word, just do the Excel. And like, you know, we're creating something from zero. You're a product manager at work with the engineers. It's two very different worlds. And frankly, something I'm still learning, um, but it works really well as far as our work background. And we've just known each other long enough that we know how we work. Like, um, and you know, like how you also decompress. It's, I think we just have the history where it's not, um, I mean, it's just, it's just easy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the point about having different backgrounds and different experiences and different kind of approaches of, how you're going to attack a similar problem is something that we've talked about a lot as well. And you think that that has been an important part about making sure that you guys kind of have your own lanes, but also you're working towards the same objective. hundred percent. I think in the beginning, I wanted to do everything. We're just learning how to be an entrepreneur, right? I come from uh, finance and um, you know, he came from tech, but we're also building something literally from zero. Like you're creating something from zero. And I wanted everything to be inclusive. I was like, let's work on this together. Um, you know, let's do these meetings. And then we quickly realized this is not best. Like I need to do uh, certain things and you need to do others. Um, you need to work with the engineers here. I need to work on financing and customers here. And then we will collaborate at times, but it should not be one collective, um, you know, exercise all the way through. It's okay right. to go down where you were doing best and to focus your time. Right. And you said, so you started to ask Alex in uh, January of 21 or uh January of 22 22 okay so could you take us through the first couple of months about what you were looking at in terms of you had the initial idea of combining the you know AI stuff with the consumer engagement so how did you kind of go from there to turn it into you know a minimum viable product and then eventually kind of get into getting to get the ear of the investors and everything like that yeah so we actually raised um first 
So right. we had nothing when we raised, which uh, frankly is a sign of a few people who believed in us. This guy named Mike Leventhal, um, one of the best investors. Um, I mean, he was on the board of Peloton. He's a double Stanford guy. He's a professor. Or something. Uh, he teaches. Um, he wrote angel checks into like all these notable, notable companies. Um, he's been doing this a long time. And he believed in us and he connected us to a lot of people and we raised capital um, from Village Global as well. They have some incredible LPs like Gates and Zuck and Diane Green and Reed Hoffman, et cetera, um, and Dwayne, who's at uh, Village Global. But all that to say, we got connected to uh, you know pretty influential individuals who, who believed in us early, which I think is, uh, I don't know if it speaks to how great we are. I think it just speaks to... Um, the kind of people they are, you know, to believe in us uh, early as first time founders. So we jumped in, raised capital. And what was the first few months like? I mean, it's chaos. You don't know what you're doing. You literally have no idea what you're doing. But you, <laughs> every day you were learning um, more than, I was learning more than I ever had. And I think at Goldman, it was fantastic, but I was executing at Goldman. You know, I knew what to do. I'd been there five years. I was executing. Um, and now I was creating. They're two very different things. Creating is far more amorphous. It's far more, uh, there's more questioning you need to do. Executing, I get in, boom, I do it. Um, so it was flexing different muscles. And there was a learning curve, and there still is. Uh, but that's the best thing about entrepreneurship. How do you uh, how do you bring in the structure from like your Goldman job into that creative space? Man, great question. We're working on that every single day. Because um, you don't want to over-structure uh, to try and make this like my team at Goldman which was a well-oiled machine that was, you know, spitting off you know, incredible amounts of money. Um, Cause you're also creating, you need to be nimble. You need to move quickly. It's a balance. Brian and I work together on it. I'm more structured. Brian is more forward thinking uh, innovation. And I'm like, how can I make this repeatable and uh, well-oiled so that we are working efficiently? Uh, mm -hmm. Brian will come up with like this, or this, 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 and this. And I'm like, okay, let's do this. Uh, focus here. Focus is important. I'll say that because, for a startup, I think it's important to do one thing one thing exceptionally well, as opposed to ten things, so so. Um, so it's just a balance, and I think Brian helps me a lot with that, uh, and it's it's a good balance. Yeah, definitely. So, how long was it after you had the idea and you did the initial funding that you both decided to go all in in terms of this being your your full time job? Oh, we had decided that we knew that. Dude, we we we've been working on so many different concepts like over so many years. Um, whether it's just like after Goldman and after he's home from Bird, we're just sitting here just trying different things. Um, I mean, we've been we've 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 started a few companies, but they were more so just to make money. Uh, this was not this was our first like real venture backed company, but we've had a lot of different ideas that have made a fair amount of money. Um, in different spaces. So for us, we, we knew we wanted to do this. And I think COVID provided the margin and the space for us to do it that didn't exist before. Um, I was never working at home with Goldman, never until the government mandated it, right? So now we're sitting at home and now we can bounce ideas off each, uh, off each other, uh, which before I was just in the office, you know, six to, till I passed away, so. <laughs> <laughs> so in between Goldman and now this is when you were running those other companies to make money? Yeah, but it was just stuff for fun. Um, like it was just, yeah, it was just, it was just for fun, really. You know, and they weren't like full on blown, full blown companies, 
uh, they're just concepts that like, you know, people are interested in, like, oh, uh, this is cool. Or, um, you know, Brian would do his consulting. He was, he was consulting for a number of people, uh, not a lot of notable companies uh, that, that are like household names when they were, they were early um, across software, across it's crypto stuff. Um, yeah, it was, it was cool. Yeah. How do you think that having those different ideas in different spaces allowed you guys to kind of pull together the skill set to have a venture back, you know, big thing like Ask Alex? Yeah. Um, it all counts. It all counts. Uh, nothing is for not, if that makes any sense. Like every experience you have is worth something. If you are selling lemonade on the side of the street, or if you are uh, working as an investment banker at JP Morgan, um, all of it, it counts for whether you're a comedian, like, or whether you're just traveling across whatever Europe or Southeast Asia, all of that counts and all of that shapes like your perspective and you need all of it in a company. Like we need my structure and my, um, you know, finance background and we need Brian's innovation and tech background or else it wouldn't work, right? You need a, you need to be well-rounded. It would be too, if it was too finance, we would do nothing and we would move so slow and we would be make everything perfect before we send it out. Right. When this is not what you do in technology, if that thing gets to 65% ready, throw it out there and start iterating, which Goldman would never, we, if there's anything spelled wrong, you're toast. Like it has to be 300% correct before the client sees it. Uh, software is the opposite. Like let's, it's halfway there. Let's get it out there and continue to, to iterate and make it better. It, it's different. Um. Yeah. So you were mentioning that the investors just had a lot of hope in you guys. And I noticed um, at your talk at the Golan Challenge, I can't really articulate it, but you just had a very good talk. And I noticed that you kind of left a big lasting impression like on the audience and the investors. Do you think that there's something that you could maybe name that you think that there's something about you and your co-founder that kind of leaves that lasting impression on people? Like, I don't think it's just uh the product that people believe in it's most of the time the founders themselves too so do you think that you could maybe name something that you think uh no i don't to answer your question i don't think there's um i don't know if i could put a finger on anything we've done exceptionally well at the at the challenge i do appreciate that i think it's more so what we what we try to do and and i try to i mean you can see now i'm relatively casual um and just want to chat as opposed which i think is important when you're connecting with people mm -hmm. uh like i want to hear about your guys backgrounds and like what you do for fun i don't want to hear about like boylan and trinity are still there like i, I want to like connect personally um and then uh i think once you have that rapport with people then they actually view uh your venture or your company through a different space so I don't know. I, I don't know if there's anything specifically we did. I think we just tried to connect with people and to tell a story of what we've done and where we're going. And we're very, very, very confident about what we've done and where we're going in a non-arrogant way. Um, but I think uh, that's something I've needed to work on is, you know, we're good at what we do and um, we're going to execute. And I think before I'd be a little bit apologetic or I'd be like, yo, especially Goldman, like, thank you for having me here, Mr. Managing Director, Mrs. Managing Director, it's such an honor. And uh, it's still an honor, don't don't get it twisted, but we're also very good at what we do and we're gonna execute. So uh, you get to invest, congratulations, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, that Not makes without sense. Without being arrogant. 
yeah yeah just having the confidence that you're at least directionally correct that you have you know a path in front of you and yeah we've been directionally correct on on so many things whether it was um nfts way back in the day um or which again have come off and but like way 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 back or whether it was on uh chatbots when it's not just that little thing on the bottom right hand side of the desktop that can help you how can i help you like this is different this is truly different um and now you know all the vcs are doing their thought leadership on linkedin and twitter uh are often the same people i talked to in 2020 who are like oh chatbots are dead no 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 um right. so you know, look, we're, we're confident. We, we, we're good at executing. We have an exceptional team and cap table. Um, and so like you, you can join now and yeah. And look, and I think I was, again, in the beginning, very apologetic when I was financing where it's like, you know, thanks for getting on the phone, but it's, it's really not that anymore. You know, it's like, um, we'll decide if we want to let you on. Um, but we really care about who we partner with. And like, we have people like Mike and Village Global and Peter Rahal and uh, a number of other angels and Goodwater Capital who are tremendous investors and who believe in us. So um, join the team if you like, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, so how did you decide to to do the investing part first as opposed to trying to build something on your own and then going to people and talking about it? Like, I think that was an interesting kind of choice to say, this is the idea. We think the idea on its own has has standalone value. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, it's uh, a really good point. I wouldn't suggest that. I would suggest building something. And we we did have some things built. I'm kind of underselling it, but we we did have some things built that we showed. Mm -hmm. um, but I think when we got on the phone with, uh, you know, Village and Mike, and uh, it, it it made sense and they had the vision more importantly they had the vision that matched ours if they if your investor doesn't share your vision don't take their capital if they are if you have if you guys are very different humans don't take their capital which is hard when you feel like um i mean capital is not a commodity but it does matter who's on your cap table they can make or ruin your uh your business so you, you know let on people onto the cap table who are going to support you and who are going to be there for you and who are not going to, you know, have a different vision from where you want to go. So how did we get it? We, we, we struck early with an idea and we had some things built that Mike loved or Mac Tilling. He's on our cap table as well. He founded Gordon Beers, just a lot of great people. They, um, they loved and we shared the vision. So we jumped in. Gotcha. So besides the investors, how have you gone about building the rest of your team? Yeah, we have an exceptional team. Um, People we've worked with in the past. Uh, Brian has worked a lot of different places, sourced a lot of incredible talent for us. Um, I've worked with a number of people. Mine are probably less relevant considering it's finance, banking, consulting. Um, and Brian has worked with a lot of early stage companies. Uh, and there's been a mass shakeup in technology, right? Like there's never been, uh, there's a lot of layoffs. There's never been better talent out there for us. Mm -hmm. And people are innovating and creating, right? This is where 0708 was what? Um, was it Uber? It was, you, you talk about all the companies that came out of 07, 08, distressed times. Like uh, the same thing's happening now. A lot of people are getting laid off. There's an inflection point in AI technology. Now is the time that the next category defining companies are going to be built in times of distress when people got laid off and started tinkering with AI or tinkering with uh, software or whatever it may be. Uh, it's a great time to be building a company. Yeah, that's a great point about the talent and the appetite being there in times of economic uncertainty or distress about kind of having those 
those companies, you know, rise from the ashes of whatever is kind of coming down at that point. So, yeah. It's disruption. Disruption breeds, uh, it can breed innovation and it doesn't always feel good, but uh, it could be the best thing I'd ever happen to do. Yeah. So, so what's the, uh, like, what are the main characteristics that you're looking for? If someone has the technical background, they have the skills, but what are you looking for them in a person to join the company and join that they have the same idea about where they want to go as you do? Yeah, I think I have a fair, my caller looks insane right now. I'm sorry. I, I, had, I had three Zooms this morning. I would not be wearing the shirt if I wasn't on Zoom. Um, anyway, what was, I, what was I saying? A talent. Um, I think I have a fair amount of discernment when it comes to people. Um, I think that's my probably number one skill. And I can tell if we're going to be a match um, early on. Um, but you also have to understand that people are not you can't just hire people who are like you, who make you feel good. Like you need to hire people who are very different from you and who are good at different things. And so what do I look for? What does Brian look for? At the core, a good human first, like someone who is honest, uh, someone who uh, is hardworking and someone who is very good at what they do. And um, that could be someone who has a history of computer science and who built things in the past like some of our engineers, or it could be someone who has legitimately no experience, who is very eager to learn, both of which are very high, high value uh, to us. Now, someone with relevant experience, of course, you know, that's going to be, we're going to put a premium on that. Um, but you can also just tell by people who are hungry and ready and mm -hmm. ready to get to work. Yeah. So how many people do you have working for you now? Yeah, we have six. We're a small team. Um, uh, myself, Brian, we have a great technical team and some sales individuals as, as well. Um, you know, so we're very lean, we an incredible designer as well. Um, yeah, we like to run lean. And I think that's, I'm very cognizant of that because you saw a lot of the growth stage companies raise a hundred million dollars on a billion post, um, when money was easy and zero interest rates were, um, interest rates were zero and commodity or capital kind of was a commodity and then now those companies are worth 400 million dollars and they've hired all these people and they're like oh my gosh i need to fire which is where a lot of this fire it was a lot of startups who over hire i don't want to do that i want to be prudent with capital but i want to grow quickly at the same time but um, we want to be capital efficient and we only really take the capital we need um to grow right and we we hit an inflection point with uh, a lot of new customers we brought on one very 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 large customer um but we want to be prudent with our capital too it's a balance it really is a balance yeah yeah that makes sense um so so as, as you know just having six employees what does your day-to-day -day look like what does brian's day-to-day -day look like as you're still you know it's kind of you know first couple of years smaller headcount how does that kind of work in terms of what your day-to-day -day shakes out to be yeah every day is different um I mean, I could walk you in. This apartment is so small, I promise you. It's like 800 square feet in uh, in Santa Monica. And it uh, it doesn't look great, but it's where we it's where we get our work done. I could walk you out there. He's probably on a call. Um, yeah, it's different, right? Like you've seen all the, the, the videos of Bezos and all these people talking, but it's like you have to keep the customer at the center of your company, right? Like there's if you aren't building, and this is what Peter, Peter Rahal from RX Bar taught me. He's like, this sounds crazy, but I was with Miami. We were in, we were in Miami where he lives and he was just giving me advice. And he was like, 
this sounds so stupid, but he said, just be an entrepreneur. Like, get out from behind your computer, talk to your customer, and be an entrepreneur. And that sounds so simple, but I was like, yeah, that's actually really, it's actually profound because it's easy to sit behind this computer, to do a lot of thinking, to think about financing, to do, to build into a vortex, which is the worst thing you could do. I need to be sitting behind the counter at the different restaurants with grease on my shirt, uh, looking in toast and look, working with the operators. That is what being an entrepreneur is for us, for our specific customer who is restaurants right now, right? So that's what a lot of my day consists of. Talking to customers, hey, what do you think about this product? Would this feature be cool? Is this stupid? Um, I was at a panel with uh, uh, the co-founder of, of Plaid and um, this guy named Zach. I was I was watching the panel um, and he and he was saying that he didn't even you don't even he didn't even know what his product was, right? You guys know what Plaid does? Uh, it's a fintech company, and he was like, we this customer came to us and said, can I use your product for this? And he was like, I didn't even. I wasn't even planning on doing it. It wasn't even on the roadmap, but then now that's the core business for Plaid, right? And mm -hmm. so you have to, the customer tells you what to build. You don't come up with an idea. I think the TV romanticizes this. You come up with an idea, light bulb goes off, you build it, and then it takes off. That is not what happens. You come up with an idea and you go straight to the customer and say, would you use this? And they say, absolutely not. And you say, what about this? What about this? And then you build it and come back and they say, "Never mind, I don't like that. And you're like, okay. Okay, totally. And then you do something else and then something else. And over time, it turns into this thing if you were working with the customer. Um, so it's not this light bulb, build it in a vacuum, and then it takes off. You got to iterate and speak to the customer at all times. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely resonates. And something else that we've talked, we talked to, um, I don't know if you remember at the Galant Challenge, there was Alexander who was with uh, Alfie Health. Um, yeah, yeah, we just spoke to his fiance Elizabeth, and she was like two hours ago. Yeah, a couple <laughs> hours ago, we, we talked to her, um, and she was telling us about kind of when she had the first initial ideas for for her startup, and talking to uh, it was taking like the waste from designer clothing, and instead of having that go into a landfill, turning it into other clothing, mm -hmm. and she was talking about how like she had this big ask of um asking for that actual material from Louis Vuitton or from whoever else and she was talking about the importance of a like asking the question going out there and doing it and b like leading with the biggest question like the biggest thing that if it was a no that the company would would not be going off the ground at all so that's that's interesting that you're talking about like that you, yeah. you have to you have to test all you have to test your assumption whatever you think is not true like whatever you think uh, about your idea or concept it may be partially true, but a hundred percent of it will not be true. You must, um, you know, and, and you've heard about like, uh, so many things have been invented on accident. Um, uh, uh, Brex was a, what was it? AR VR company. Um, like all these, uh, uh, Slack was, uh, I think Slack was a video game before it became yeah. Slack. Yeah. Um, like you truly, you have to iterate rapidly and whatever you start out, with will not be what your final product is but you need to start starting is the hardest you got to get out there like you could you could start with a lemonade stand and then turn out to be a whatever b2b SaaS company but like you just got to start so how is ask alex different from what you started with now the consumer approach right like i wanted who wouldn't want this? This would be sick. A phone number that I could text when I show up in Brickle or West Village or Santa Monica that says, Jordan, here's where you've eaten. You might also like this. Um, is very consumer, again, consumer facing. It was that concierge. It was the Iron Man Jarvis concept. 
mm-hmm. uh, which isn't a super novel idea, but GPT-3 made that possible. And that's what went off in our head in 2020. We were like, oh, you know, the you've seen the Iron Man movies. Like, this is like the, the assistant, the uh, Alfred from Batman, whatever concept that I can like text. And this would automatically be getting things done for me. And I plug in the API in the back to different companies. Um, very different though. When we took it, talk to our customer, they said, why are you sending my my uh, customer from, you know, Lartuzzi to another pasta shop? Even though it's cool recommendation for them, it's like, the heck, dude. So we said, great, this is for you. It's siloed for you to increase repeat purchases. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And um, yeah, so, so as you've kind of gone along, are there any assumptions that you have now that you're kind of, playing with to see how those are going to change as you grow from a couple of uh you know restaurants or a couple of companies into what other kind of brick and mortar uh businesses are you looking to expand into now and how are you you know testing those assumptions i guess is what i'm asking yeah restaurant retail and um other physical experiences such that when there are twenty thousand seats left in madison square garden i can send out a text to you guys because you are high spenders at the concession so you buy a lot of hot dogs and popcorn instead of bringing me who's just watching the game or random person x i want you guys in there so how can we segment um different cohorts and provide relevant messaging to high value customers to get them back in the door um for any brick and mortar experience um that is the goal right the hollywood bowl has some excess capacity you know john mayer's playing tonight um let's get some people in the door just things we're thinking about how are we testing these assumptions talking to the customer constantly right like um i'm we have so many i could go deep onto our thoughts on text and mm-hmm. and i'll give you a little bit right so basically if you look at wechat overseas and you look at whatsapp in latin america and india you right. see consumers interacting with companies via messaging messaging for us is the future of commerce that is our thesis. There is no need for us to have hundreds of thousands of apps in the app store. Why does Starbucks have an app? Why does Home Depot? Why does local restaurant X have an app? It should just they should just have a phone number um, in which you could interact with the company and they can send you links to link out to to mobile web. Um, so apps are really kind of this US centric um and, and again, there's a lot internationally, but like internationally, they're using messaging as a platform for commerce. And that's what I think the future looks like. So, um, and, you know, there's other reasons why, you know, it made that behavior doesn't exist yet in re- other regulatory reasons why it doesn't exist yet in the United States, but I do believe it will exist in the, in the U.S. Um, sooner rather than later. So those are some things we are testing against now. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the texting as opposed to opening an app just feels more intimate, feels more like you're an important part of whatever the business is doing that you're a consumer that they care about rather than just another user. hundred percent. It's a personal experience, but it's an intimate channel, right? Like my mother is in this channel. Um, I'm texting mom, like mom, I need my birth certificate to get a new passport, but I also need, I'm texting a business. So like, you can't annoy me with like 10% off, 10% off, 10% off. Like that would be very annoying to me. But Mm -hmm. if you treat the channel properly, it's an incredible channel for conversion. Yeah, definitely. And also I think allow some more spontaneity where maybe you're just you're texting someone else okay i'm gonna jump in here i'll see what this restaurant has going on what events are going on at this location tonight i think that's great yeah yeah it's cool i'm excited and i think that that behavior exists amongst the younger generations um 
like my brother who's uh he's like six years younger than me but like people or even internationally i was in europe last summer everyone uses snapchat i think snapchat is a horrific interface but like i i don't know maybe i'm just old right like but people I, I, use it right. yeah, I, I don't <laughs> over texting like why are you using snapchat over yeah. text why does this I behavior mean, exist yeah, i always look at my younger brother like using it for texting too and i'm like i don't understand what you're doing oh yeah why are you opening an app taking a photo and then writing on top i don't know but guess what the behavior exists and like again that's an assumption that we would be like that sounds stupid but it's a great it's a business that's done tremendously well so like again why is that diving into that consumer behavior why does that exist is really interesting so has it been difficult kind of convincing an older audience like people who are older that own these businesses convincing them of your vision and explaining this vision um at times a lot of people don't understand like the importance of text or they say I would find that annoying. And I say, great, you're not the investor for us. Uh, or, I, or I'd reference other companies like Attentive, Emotive, Postscript, Clavio, Braze. Um, Attentive is like a $7 billion business. And no one, I don't know if you guys know what Attentive is, but it's like, uh, it, it's a text-based kind of Shopify plugin to increase repeat purchases for e-com e space. Um, so text works, you know, and I think that's a lot of that's why you have to storytell and you have to tell people why you have to show them comps and show them why now is the time. And th that gets into pitching and, you know, telling a compelling story because they may start with the assumption that uh, we hate text and some people you may never change. And which sometimes I'll be like, okay, let's get off the call. Like this is not, you know, and again, it's not being a jerk in the beginning. I would have been like, Oh, thanks for your time. You know, thank you. Da, 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 da. And like, it's like, look, you know, that that's kind of dead and gone. We're not going to get there. Let's move on and save both each other's time. Um, which I think I've learned over time. Yeah, that, that's just an efficient way to go about it too. I mean, something else that is interesting is, you know, you have the assumptions maybe that don't exactly match over here, but they're open to changing their mind. Then I'm sure you have a, you know, a mountain of data about this many users, this many dollars, this conversion rate, et cetera, et cetera. But the storytelling aspect of it, like, like you're talking about, of turning those numbers into something that they can relate to in terms of comps in other companies or experiences and turning that into what they're able to see is that the vision um that's an interesting kind of you have to weave that into the the discussion you have to there's a balance sorry my back feels terrible you there's there's a balance you have to like oh, you have to um tell the story with data right and it's my job to tell you why look at the data look what's happening this is why you were wrong and the good investors the best ones are open to being wrong they're right. not super opinionated thought leaders who are writing threads on Twitter about how smart they are. They're open to being convinced otherwise of what their thinking is. I think that's any any person. Like, I would love to be proven wrong. Show me. And those people who you prove and actually turn are often your your biggest champions. Like, wow, you were right. Look at the data. Let's jump in uh, to what we're doing. Yeah. Awesome. That makes a lot of sense. Awesome. Yeah. Do you do you run into any problems at all with some of the the clients that you work with on the data side, like them not collecting data properly? Okay, because I guess yeah. from from your guys' perspective, you need pretty solid data. Yeah, we do need solid data, and there's a number of ways. Probably won't talk about about how we get them. Um, but uh, yeah, data is interesting because it's going through a period where everyone is super concerned about privacy, um, which is incredibly important. It was funny we brought. I mean, you guys listen to the All In podcast, surely. You should listen to it. Oh, oh you should listen to it. It's like this. Uh, the All In, All In podcast. Yeah, I think so. 
oh man it's every vc founder person's thing right now check it out but it's good though it's good but it was talking about um how the cloud was like we got to put everything in the cloud and then uh now it's like 10 years later oh no these clouds are honeypots of data that could be hacked and it's like obviously we put everything into the cloud and now you know there's a lot of concerns about privacy so uh yes we are very concerned about privacy with regards to phone numbers uh we have to be compliant with the carriers on how we're interacting with you i can't just text you guys now there's a whole slew of legal issues with i just can't text you on behalf of a business there's a number of opt-ins that need to happen Mm -hmm. that's a bit more technical but uh yeah we got to make sure we're compliant with all of that and how we're treating the customer data the the restaurant's customers data uh compliant with the carriers on which we're texting and our execution of text um so there's a number of things that we have to do but people my thesis is people are willing particularly younger humans are willing to give data for a more personalized experience for a VIP kind of experience. Whereas my mother and father don't want to be online. That's like, I ain't making no Instagram, like whatever dad. But like, I think there are people who, uh, younger people are used to having their information out there. In fact, it's about sharing. It's about my, you know, you've seen the, the TikTok stuff. Like everyone wants to tell everyone about everything now, probably too much. Um, so I think you're open to putting yourself out there for a better customized experience. Uh, that being said, we're doing, going far and above, I mean, we have to, to remain compliant with privacy. Right, right. It's the exchange aspect rather than like the extortion where it's, we're going to take this and you don't get anything in return. Exchange. If you don't want to opt in, don't give me your phone number. I, I, that's fine. But I'll tell you what, when your friends are having a good old time and they're getting some cool VIP experience, you're going to want to opt in. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Was there anything else we wanted to ask on the podcast or anything that you would want to share on the podcast itself before we have a couple questions about... Um, you know, some business ideas that we've been kicking around. Nice. Honestly, I'm just more interested in like you guys, like what, uh, yeah. Like, what do you want for the podcast? What do you want out of last few years of school? What do you want to be doing? Like, and how can I help you? Yeah. I mean, you want to just, we can jump right into the, basically none of us really want to work like a nine to five, like, uh, you know, to skip the Goldman maybe. <laughs> that's all right that's all right yeah well yeah i think we kind of we want to do our own thing and you know kind of have no ceiling and and build something together from the ground up 